Good morning again. I have a poem that the Lord gave me called 40 to 1. It's based on the scriptures uh, from the book of Jonah when uh, the Lord sent Jonah to Nineveh and he um, didn't want to go. And um, God being as gracious as he is, he told him to go and decree for 40 days that they needed to repent. God gave them 40 days. You know, like 40 days and 40 nights when it stormed and it rained and he flooded the place and then he restored it. Well, he was going to give them 40 days, right? So Jonah didn't want to go, but God said, you do it anyway. Gave him 40 days. You know, like all the grace that he blesses us with time and time again, all the forgiveness that he gives us time and time again. Well, there's a, there's a lesson in this right here. Um, 40 to 1. If I gave you 40 days, how long would it take? If I asked you to repent, how many excuses would you make? Oh, my goodness, 120,000 people were so mired in their sin that my prophet Jonah, when I sent him, he didn't want to go in. Yes, they deserve to die, for their transgressions were so great. Yet I am the Lord God Almighty, and that is my decision to make. For you see, I still loved them, for I created each and every one, and it is I who holds the future for their victory would lie in my only begotten son. I desire mercy, kindness, love, and grace. I desire to welcome you to heaven that you might gaze upon my face. I don't want you to suffer. I don't desire that you should die. I want you to live in freedom and not perish because of a lie. That's why I gave Nina 40 days to repent and turn to me. And they actually did it in one day for they listened when Jonah gave that decree. Now my children, I have given you a lifetime to repent and turn to me. I have blessed you with my son Jesus so that from sin you could live free. Thank you. Amen, thank you, Tasha. All right, my name's Scott Parker and uh, I was telling Michelle over here what kind of weird leadership thing we're in right now. Um, we're, we're, what has happened with us is that uh, a lot of us have been called to this neighborhood. James, me, Kevin, who's with our kids, and, and then Pastor Darren was here. And we were kind of here before him. And so when he came, we were introducing him to the community. And then when, we, when he left, he sat us all down and said, I don't think you need another pastor. I think you guys are it. I'm going to tell Park, you guys should, should be uh, in charge now. And uh, I, I think I, I remember feeling like that's what God was doing. I came to James. He said, well, who's going to be our pastor now? And I said, what's up, pastor? And uh, turned to James, he was like, oh, my God, no. Like, and, and so we've been, like, learning how to do this thing. And uh, it's kind of exciting and terrifying. And I know at times for you guys out there, it's, you got to be patient, right? Like, like there's, we're going to mess up sometimes and not do things right. And, uh, and I've always said you're never going to have a, a mature leader in the church unless you start with an immature leader and are patient with them. And, and so I understand 
having spent most of my life as a Christian in the seats that you're sitting in right now, uh, what it is to be patient <laughs> with the people up here. And so um, I appreciate your patience with us as we actually learn how to preach, learn how to bring the word in a timely manner. Um, and so this week was interesting. I had a whole sermon planned, and it was kind of like I had my pieces together, and my, my habit is to... Uh, get up real early on days I'm preaching and preach to my couch and uh, practice. And what I'm finding is when I preach to my couch, uh, I'll start going down this one direction and it'll just feel, it'll feel dead. And then I'll, I'll start preaching this other direction and it'll feel like absolutely alive, like God's all over that. And this morning, I realized that the kind of the whole main thing I was going to preach on felt dead. And this little piece that I was just throwing in there just to give some context came completely alive. And then it, it, it became uh, a clearer. We, we come here at uh, 9.30 to pray. As we prayed at, at a certain point, uh, I just had to get up and start walking around because I felt like God was talking to me. This is the message I have for my people today. And I'm going to be trying to put it together because I feel like God is kind of telling it to me even right now while I'm up in front of you. But what I felt like God said to tell you today was that this is bigger than Chicago. That what is here in this room is bigger than the city. And, and uh, the reason for that is because, because God is creating out of us a new city. All right? Oftentimes, uh, I think it was uh, Ray Bakke said that the, the, the Bible starts in a garden, but it ends in a city. And in one sense... What God has always been about since the beginning of time is creating a new Jerusalem, a new city where people dwell in peace together. And so as Christians, wherever we are, anywhere, in any city in the world, we are becoming a new city in that city. We are the alternative city to that city. We are the Jerusalem to the Babylon in Chicago. That's the people of God. And I think what God has been trying to say to me this morning is, I want my people to know that this is bigger than just Chicago. So we've been talking about Jonah. And if you're going to understand Jonah, you have to understand what it meant back when Jonah existed to be a prophet. See, when you read the Old Testament, a prophet was somebody to whom the word of God came. And when the word of God came to a prophet, the word of God would say, I have a word for you to take to so-and-so, and this is how you're to take it to them. And they would do it. And some scholars even believe that the word of God was actually the physical manifestation of God. It was actually a person at times. Uh, there's a passage in Jeremiah where 
uh, uh, some of the remnant that were left over after the exile came to Jeremiah and they said, can you give us a word? We are headed to Egypt. We, we want to head to Egypt. We want to hear from God if that's okay. And Jeremiah says, okay, let me wait on the Lord. And here's the discipline of Jeremiah. He waited for 10 days before he gave those guys a word. For 10 days he waited before he gave them a word. I mean, can you imagine you walking into Willow Creek next, next week? You walk in and the pastor says, sorry, we haven't heard from God yet. We need to wait on the Lord. Uh, no church, no preaching today. We haven't heard from God yet what his word is to us. That's how serious the prophets were about hearing a word from the Lord. They were willing to wait for it. James runs a not-for-profit. I used to run a not-for-profit. Uh, when you run a not-for-profit, you're a not-for-profit, okay? And that means you don't make money, all right? You, you do something for somebody else. You create a service that doesn't really pay you. And so the only way you get paid <laughs> is if someone gives you money, all right? And, and so a big part of running a not-for-profit all the time is, is asking people for money. And not-for-profits don't make it a lot of times unless they have a wealthy network that they're coming to. And, and so I've often thought if, if someone said, hey, Scott, uh, or hey, Brother Jay, next, next week I want to introduce you to Bill Gates. Um, uh, he's going to be downtown. I've told him about what you're doing. Uh, I, I want you to come with your budget and uh, uh, be ready to, to present uh, Father's Arms Ministry. Um, if James came uh, there and in the first five minutes they said, oh, he's, he's running late, James would be like, okay. If an hour later they said, oh, he's still late, uh, maybe James won't, but most of us would, would, would wait. We would wait because we would know what it would mean to meet with Bill Gates. If they said, you know what, uh, the president called him, he's meeting with the president today, can you come back tomorrow? We would come back the next day. And yet we have the opportunity to meet with the living God, the maker of heavens and earth, and a lot of times we don't treat that meeting with the same respect. We don't rearrange our schedule with the same respect. We don't wait on him with the same expectation that we would with the most powerful people on this planet. And that's, that's ridiculous. And so the prophets were people 
to whom the word of God would come, and, and they would not give a word, not the good ones. The good ones would not give a word until the word of God came to them. And the amazing thing about the prophets is they were prophets of the Most High God. They were not prophets of Israel. They were not prophets of their nation first and foremost. So if you look at the story of Elijah, you remember that story where Elijah, uh, he, he goes up against the, the prophets of Baal? It's like one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. All right, And, and he, he basically uh, is fed up with people worshiping the prophets of Baal. So he says, you know what, we're going to have a showdown and I'm going to build an altar, you're going to build an altar, and you're going to call fire from heaven, and I'm going to call fire from heaven, and whichever God does it, that's the one that wins. So he does it, God sends fire from heaven, blows up his altar, they put to death the prophets of Baal, and right afterwards, the king and queen of the land still are trying to kill Elijah, and he runs away from them, he runs, outruns horses, and he finally settles down, and he's depressed. I just did all that and still people are trying to kill me. And while he's depressed, God comes to him and says basically like, get up, what you doing on the ground, why are you so depressed? And, and, and says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go and you're going to anoint Hazael, the king of Syria, or the king of Aram. You're going to anoint Elisha to be your successor and you're going to anoint Jehu, who's going to come against Ahab the king that's trying to kill you. And what I see right there is that the prophets of the Most High God were not just prophets for Israel. They were prophets for the other countries as well. And what that also tells me is that God, like we talked about this last week, God established nations. So God had a king that he was going to put over Israel. He also had a king that he was going to put over Syria. Separate nations. Separate nations. God established the nations. And so God honors the nations. God honors the the thrones of a nation. He set up this king over Syria, and, 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 and later on, Elisha would tell that king, the guy who would become king, he would look at him and he would weep because the word of God would come to him in that moment and tell him, this guy one day is going to oppress your people. And yet, God still allows him to be king. That's terrifying. Because what that tells me is that God honors my, my sovereignty. He honors my decisions. He honors my agency. He honors my ability to make decisions with my life and that I can actually choose to mess everything up and God will let me because he won't step in and take away my free will. That's part of what it means to be made in God's image. And so we also, as, as believers, when we come 
into new contexts and new cultures and new places, we need to respect the throne and the, and the, the boundaries of that new culture that we're coming into. That was God's idea. God's idea was different nations, different cultures. God is not a cookie-cutter God. Do you notice that? He didn't want every nation to be Israel. He wanted Israel to be an example to every nation, but he did not want every nation to be Israel. All right? Uh, Sung Chan Ra wrote a book called uh, The Next Evangelicalism. He wanted to call it uh, The Great White Captivity. That's what he wanted to call it. His whole premise was that American Christianity, white Christianity, because it owned all the publishing and all the media and everything else, actually thought that everybody in the whole world was supposed to do it the American way. And that they weren't respecting all the different cultural forms of worship. Uh, Richard Twist is a, was a, 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 Richard Twist has passed away. He was a, a First Peoples uh, 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 pastor. He was a half uh, a Native American and half uh, Norwegian, I think. He's interesting, you know. And, and he talks about all the time that that the problem with missions to my people have been that they, they would not respect the culture that was our culture. And so th th they had this idea of we're going to kill the Indian and save the person. And, and, and he said, we've got to reteach you. No, my tribe was made in the image of God. The, the dancing that we do, the, the culture that we do, all of that, it's, that's, that's who we are. God doesn't come in and rip that all to shreds and, and then bring the gospel. No, God brings the gospel in that context, right? Just like he does it in our context. I mean, we're, we're a country that goes to movie theaters. What do most of our churches look like now? They look like movie theaters. And they have a Starbucks in the middle of them, right? Right? That's our culture. And, and, and why do we do that? Because that, that's culturally relevant to us, right? God meets us in our culture, right? And so when we go into other cultures, into other communities, other neighborhoods, when, when we're here in Rogers Park, where I think there's like 70 nations that are present here, disciples of Jesus Christ, we have got to understand that, that, that God honors the boundaries of those cultures. And if we don't, we're, we're, we're on a different thing. God's going to give us a message for that. So we, we see that the prophets were, were, um, would, would, like God, honor the nation and the boundaries of the nation to which they preached. Now, here's, here's what's really important. Is that the, the prophets spoke for God. And in order to be a good prophetic voice, the prophets could not be in the back pocket of any nation. Once you only will preach a hard word 
to somebody other than the, that's in your camp. You, you've ceased to be a prophet for the Most High God. You, you've become just a, just a spokesperson for your camp, for your nation, for your country. And so you will see that the prophets, on a regular basis, they will speak just as much judgment to Israel as they will to Egypt, as they will to Assyria, as they will to all these other places. In fact, there's a... And, and, and not only will God give them a word for the other nations, but he will often use signs and wonders to demonstrate his power. So in every generation, I'm losing my way here. Here's, here's what I'm trying to say. Look, God establishes thrones, okay? So each of you have a place that God has for you in this world. But God also establishes nations, all right? So he creates kings in one sense, okay? Governments, right? All over the world, different governments everywhere, all right? All right? The prophet's job, the prophetic voice's job, is to show that there is a king of kings, right? That there's a God over all gods, right? That there's a power above all powers, all right? And so, and so what, what God is doing through his prophets all the time is he is, he, is, he is releasing a witness into the world that he is the king of kings. That's every story all the time, right? I mean, go back. You've got, you've got Joseph. Joseph is sent into Egypt. He's sent into Egypt, and he's sent into jail. He's in jail, and he has a few dreams. One guy has a dream. He says, you're going to die. The other guy has a dream. He says, you're getting out. The guy gets out. Pharaoh has a dream. The Pharaoh at that time, the most powerful nation in the world, has a dream. He's so, he's so concerned that his guys are just going to lie to him. He won't even tell them what the dream is. And somebody goes, oh, I know Joseph. Joseph was good at dreams. He comes to Joseph. Joseph says, I can't do this. My God can do it. And uh, he goes back. He waits on the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to him. He comes to Pharaoh. He says, look, you're going to have seven years of, of, of plenty, and then you're going to have seven years of famine. If you were smart, what you would do is you'd take the seven years of plenty, plenty, you put it in your storage, and then when the famine comes, you'll be all set for it. And the Pharaoh goes, wow, this is a smart young man. I think this is the kind of young man that I'd like to have right up next to me. And so he makes him the second most powerful person in the world. God raised up Joseph so that that king would know that Joseph God was a God above all gods. He raised up a witness to, 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 be, to, to Pharaoh to show him that he was the king of kings. Do you see? And some people think that the second pharaoh who had a Moses, because of the first pharaoh, that the second pharaoh had an opportunity to repent. That's why a lot of scholars believe God sends the ten plagues. Because each plague was a chance. See, this God that you thought you worshipped, bam, 
Uh, you worship the Nile, I'll turn it into blood. Um, you worship insects, I'll put them all over the place. Uh, you worship the sun, I'll make it black. God each and every time was trying to say, I am the God of everything. I'm above. It was a witness. And that Pharaoh could have, we believe, repented because um, it's interesting when Joseph said, let my people go to his Pharaoh. When his father died, he said, let me go and bury my father. Pharaoh went with him and he buried his father in Canaan. And what's interesting is Moses and the people of Israel followed the same route out of Egypt. Which, which for some people says that that Pharaoh also could have repented, could have said, let them go the way the first Pharaoh did. God raises up a witness in every generation to demonstrate to the powerful that he is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And so that's what we see with Jonah. Jonah is one of these guys. He is a prophet of the Most High God. A lot of people think that he was a, maybe a student of Elisha, who was a student of Elijah. So he was in that line. And some of Jonah made a prophecy about one king that came true. He had a track record. And so, when God wants the king of Nineveh to repent, when God wants to save Nineveh, he doesn't send an army. Guys, I think this is what God is saying to us as a church. Who does God send to Nineveh? A prophet. You know, I think about I think about Nineveh, this great city that has great walls. And I, I think of how that's what we do, isn't it? When God when we get together in a city, we start to innovate, and we start to create, and we, we start to make things, and then we start to make a name for ourselves, right? And Nineveh had, had done that. Um, that. That Babel did that too, right? They, they had an innovation, and they started to create a city, and they, 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 they started to try to make a name for themselves. I know I just switched gears here. This is like this is something that came to me this morning. I'm trying to like communicate it clearly. But, but here, here's what I realized. Right after Babel in the, in the scripture, you have Abraham, right? You have Abram. And what does God tell Abram to do? He tells him to leave everything that he's established. And to follow him into the promised land of Canaan. All right? And he says to Abram, 
I'm going to make your name great. And what Abram does when he gets there, right after God tells him that, does Abram build a city? No. What does Abraham build right after God gives him that promise? Anybody know? An altar. Yes, Natalie. Yes. Yeah. He builds an altar. And an altar was the way in, in the ancient times you built an altar to commune with the living God. This, this is a point I think God's like trying to communicate. When Jesus comes to the disciples, he says, come, follow me. Right? They have to leave what's established. Right? So, to have a prophetic voice in our culture, we have to build an altar. We have to wait on the word of the Lord. All right? But we have to be willing to go wherever God wants to send us. And so, you know, honestly, what, what I think God really wants us to know today is that if, you, if you're Nineveh, you're the most powerful nation at that time. You have the biggest, most brutal army you have all these walls. Um, nobody can come into your city unless you let them in. And you can be, de be deceived into thinking that you're it, right? That was, that was Nineveh's sin. And the only way to get Nineveh to repent as if, if God sends somebody who, who purely represents him, okay? So it's, what I feel like is it's like a double message, guys. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling here, okay? I understand that. All right, because I originally was going to preach on walls today. That's what I was going to preach on. And, and then God is bringing this other message, and I'm like, what is going on here? And he, here, here's what it is. It's... It's, just listen to these verses, all right? 
Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. In Deuteronomy it says, You think that the tall, strong walls around your cities will protect you, but those walls will fall down. The enemy will surround all your cities. They will not let you have any food. You will be so hungry you um, you'll end up eating your children. In Jeremiah, it says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? Guys, we're, we're taught to sort of protect ourselves, right? So, I mean, I don't, I don't know about you. Here's a script I learned. Go to school, do good in school, get to go to a good college, come out of a good college, get a good job, so now you have good money and, and you can make a life for yourself. All right? Um, the guys on the corner have a, have a similar script, you know? It's just a different way there. All right? And, and that's, that's that city, see? That's that city of, uh, of protection, of getting established, and all this kind of stuff. And I think what God wants to say, and, and what I was originally going to say was, like, those, those walls are good. Those protections are good. We need them because there's bad people around. You, you, you want protection. You, you need protection. You, I, I lock my door at night. That's okay. But I feel like what God is saying is, is do we want more than that? He wants to give us more than that. I think God wants, wants to raise up Jonah's out of this church. I think God wants this church to have a prophetic voice in the city. But here's the thing about the prophets. They don't get a city here. Do you see? Prophets are sent to kings. They don't get to be kings. Right? And so, and so on one hand... God needs to send a word to us to get past our defenses, right? And to get past these things that we use to establish ourselves, like he did to Abram, and call us out of that so that we can become his witnesses to this world that there is a king of kings. To demonstrate to this world that yeah, you've got all of that, but there's something greater than that. And guys, it's real, it's a temptation with churches, right? Like it's a temptation like, like we see it all the time. Uh, the numbers get big, you've got a good preacher, the numbers get big and it grows up. And now you're building a big building and now your name is out front and, 
and, and now you, your pastor is the one that speaks at all the conferences. And now, you know, I'm a friend with so-and-so, and he was talking to Bono the other day. And, 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 and all of a sudden you have this kingdom, right? And you have all these protections, and you have all this stuff that, that, is, that is established. And church starts to become more about the walls, Right? How do we protect ourselves? When, when the, the, the black migration came up from the south, all the Catholic churches all over the city of Chicago were freaking out. They were like, don't you know white people are racist and if black people move in, the property value is going to go down and my entire parish is going to leave for the suburbs and every Catholic church in the city is going to be broke. And so some of the priests wouldn't let black people into the church. Because they were trying to protect, to protect the city. Do you see? But one man, Jonah, is sent to a city and he just walks in the city. He doesn't come, God doesn't send an army, he sends a word to the city. And so I think what God is saying to us guys is this. He needs a prophetic voice, but a prophetic voice has to be willing to leave the protection of the city. The prophetic voice has to know that, that God's word is more powerful than any wall, is more powerful than any city. I mean... Look at this. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. I appoint you over nations. Over nations. And I think what I, think what I felt in my heart this morning when we were in prayer, that God said, tell them that this is bigger than the city. This is about the nations. And I think for some of you, God is going to put a word in your mouth and send you to a nation. And some of you, God is going to put you a word in your mouth and you're going to pray for a nation. And when you pray for that nation, when you proclaim over that nation what God is telling you to proclaim over that nation, it will come to pass. There's a reason that Nineveh repented. When Jonah showed up and said, in 40 days, you're gone, it was because he was a legit prophet. And they knew when a prophet of the Most High God spoke that it would come to pass. Guys, that is not going to happen unless we set ourselves towards waiting on the Lord. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem. What did they do while they were waiting? They were in prayer. And then the Holy Spirit came. The Word of God came. They started to speak in many tongues. And that was the birth of the church. And so when we have these, when we pray, when we get together in the morning and pray, when, when, 
Kevin and I go on Thursday morning and on Saturday morning to pray. What we're experiencing is it's like we're walking into the throne room of God, no joke, that God is giving us a word to pray for our city and for our nation. And you feel like you met with the President of the United States and that what we said is what is about to happen. And church, I think this church is called to that. I think this church is, I think God wants to raise up a prophetic voice here on the North, most north Pole of the city that, that can be sent to, to, um, to the kings of our city and call them to repentance. And I think some of you in here, that's going to be specifically you, and I think that's going to be corporately us. And James, we're already seeing it. We're already seeing how many, like, big, huge churches are, are showing up in our neighborhood and, and we're speaking into their lives. Jesus called 72 guys and he sent them two by two, remember, into village after village after village. And I think God, God's going to send some of us in this church to do the same thing. Amy's about to head to Indonesia, right? So I, I just want to take a minute. Maybe Amy or Glam, you guys could come up and sing. Guys, I, I, I just think, like, uh, while we go into worship, I would just ask you to ask the Lord, what, what more does he want you to do? And it's not always do something. Sometimes it's to stop doing things. So that you can... Hear the word of the Lord. Right? Because that's where the power is. Is getting God's word for his people. And if we're willing to wait on it and find it and get it, that, that's a word that, that can call an entire city to repentance. 